Good morning. It is so good to see each one of you here. God is with us. He's so good to us. I just love celebrating God's goodness together with you. Every Sunday I think, okay, I'm going to save my voice so I have, you know, enough voice to talk for hours and hours this morning, and then I just have to sing at the top of my lungs. So I hope my voice... Holds out till noon. All right, well, we've got a great story in our scripture this morning. John chapter 9. John chapter 9. If you would find a Bible, if you brought your own, that's always a great idea. We'd love for you to be getting to know your own Bible. But if you didn't bring one, just take a pew Bible and turn to John chapter 9. This is... uh, great snapshot of life with Jesus and a great story. Who doesn't like having a good story read to them? I'm reading from the New Living Translation this morning, so a little bit different than what's in your pew Bibles. Jesus heals a man born blind. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, Why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then Jesus spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told them, he told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the one. They asked, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now, they said. I don't know, he replied. Then they took the man who had been born blind to the Pharisees, because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man, Jesus, is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about the man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and now could see, so they called in his parents. They asked him, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, 
how can he now see? His parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. (laughs) His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said, he's old enough, ask him. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been born blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I do know this. I was blind, and now I can see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once. Didn't you listen? Do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. Friends, this is God's word for us today. God, thank you that you're here with us. Thank you that you're speaking to us. Would you come in the power of your Holy Spirit and just enable us to really hear your voice? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're getting to know Jesus better during this Lenten season. I know a lot of us are doing the four in 40, reading all four Gospels during these 40 days of Lent. If you uh, haven't started that or if you've gotten behind, it's okay. You can catch up or you can just start where you are and read from here right after Easter. Um, you can find that, that reading plan on our app or on our website. And uh, I think there might even be hard copies out on the 
we're on the Welcome Center, is that right? Uh, it's just a great way to kind of immerse yourself in these stories of Jesus during these, these days leading up to Easter. And when you immerse yourself in those stories, you, you see a lot of miracles happening wherever Jesus goes. There's about three dozen or so miracles in the Gospels, depending on exactly how you count them. When you read those miracle stories, Jesus healing and um, raising people from the dead and calming the storm, it's hard not to think, I wish I could experience that. It's hard not to think, man, if I could see such clear evidence of God at work, man, my faith would be rock solid, right? We wish that we could have been back in Bible times and see what the people around Jesus saw. And then when you start to look more deeply at these miracles, you start to have more questions than you started with, more questions than you thought. Why does Jesus do what he does? How does he choose who to heal and who not to heal? And then if miracles are so convincing, why wasn't everyone convinced? And what are miracles supposed to do anyway? Those are part of the, the pieces that we're putting together as we're looking at Jesus' power today and asking what, what was that power really all about and why did Jesus choose to use his power for miracles in the way that he did? Just imagine yourself being this person that we meet here in John chapter 9. I wish John had told us his name because he's such um, an alive character. You know, you kind of get a sense of, of who this guy is compared to a lot of the people that we meet in the Gospels because we get this whole long chapter about him. We get a little bit of his personality. Apparently, he was somebody who was known to the community around Jerusalem. People recognized him. Jesus and his disciples are in the temple area, and they encounter him near the pool of Siloam. That's one of those geographical places you hear about um, often in the Gospels. The, the picture on the right there is what it probably looked like in Jesus' day. Nice and landscaped, steps going down into it. Um, the picture on the left is what it looks like today. You can see it's partly covered up by that pathway and the trees and a wall there on the left. But you can still see sort of the remains of it. Those of you who came to Pastor Bill's uh, uh, presentation about his recent trip to the Holy Land know that um, he was right there on those steps just, what, a month ago um, after he went through the tunnel that Hezekiah had dug and waded through that water. And when you get to the end of Hezekiah's tunnel, you pop out right there by the pool of Siloam. So that's where Jesus and his disciples were in that area. And um, they encounter this man who had been born blind. Nobody brought him to Jesus. He didn't come to Jesus and ask to be healed, but he was a man who needed Jesus' help. He'd been born blind, he lived all his life in darkness, and he was a beggar. He was supported just by the generosity of others. And if you read the whole story, it's evident that this man had a quick mind and an open heart. Jesus and his disciples 
see this man. And the story starts where many sick people start with the question of cause. Why? Why? You know, when sickness or, or pain hits us, that's often where we start too. Why? Why me, God? What's God trying to tell me through this? In Jesus' day, people assumed that tragedy hit people who deserved it. And that's what the rabbis and the Pharisees taught. That um, when someone was, had something like being born blind, it was because someone had sinned. And so the disciples say, well, who, who sinned, Jesus? This, this man? Or was it his parents' fault? The disciples couldn't bear to let this opportunity to wrestle with that hard question of why, to, to slip away. Preacher John Yates puts it like this. He says, the disciples were, were just like you and I would have been all their lives. They'd wondered about this age-old problem of pain. If God is a good God, and if God is all-powerful, why on earth would God allow a person to be struck down with such a problem? It's easy enough to understand if the person had been some evil person, he would have deserved to be punished. We much prefer a world where suffering makes sense, right? Where we can find a cause and effect. But this poor man was born totally blind from the beginning of his life. Jesus could have taken this opportunity to explain the why question of evil, but he didn't. He didn't. And so all through the scriptures, we get little pieces of the answer, but we never get a whole answer. We get sort of an imperfect, incomplete understanding of the answers to the problem of pain. What Jesus did do was this. He overturned the common idea about how God views sick and disabled people. He denied that this man's blindness came from anyone's sin, and he dismissed the common opinion that tragedies happen to those who deserve them. And what Jesus does here is he, he lifts up the idea that the sick are especially loved and not cursed by God. That was a radical idea back then. I think it's an idea that we still really need to hold on to. Those who are hurting, who are broken, who are sick, are especially loved by God, not cursed by him. Philip Yancey, in his great book, The Jesus I Never Knew, and if you are looking for a good way to... Uh, read something that, that really meshes with what we're doing here during Lent, that is a great book, The Jesus I Never Knew. He says this, um, that every one of Jesus' miracles of healing undercut the rabbi's teaching of, you deserved it. Jesus is undoing that teaching of, you deserved it. So the disciples were looking backward, trying to figure out why. Why was this man born blind? Why did this happen? But Jesus redirects their attention forward. Instead of asking the why question, he asks a different question. To what end? What was the purpose? What can God do with this situation? 
That's what he wants the disciples to think about. And he answers his own question. I love it when Jesus does that. He answers his own question. Look at verse three. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. So that the power of God could be seen in him. It just may be that when pain strikes us, the only answer to the why question that we will get is, this happened, don't dwell on why. It's happened, now we have an opportunity to see God at work. That's what Jesus seems to be framing this whole situation as. Now we have the opportunity to see God at work. The power of God could be seen in this situation. Have you ever thought about the fact that when pain or loss or tragedy strikes you, that is a perfect opportunity for the power of God to be seen in you. I don't know about you, but the thought of the world being able to see the power of God through my brokenness and my pain, wow, I wanna see that happen. I love seeing the power of God at work. So Jesus mixes spit and dirt together and he puts it on this man's eyes. That is not a 21st century approach to healing, is it? All of us go, ew, (laughs) did he have to use spit? (laughs) Maybe it wasn't as gross back then, I don't know. But anyway, he puts, puts this mud on the man's eyes. We get this little detail of how he healed him. It's interesting, sometimes Jesus speaks to someone, sometimes he touches them, sometimes he prays with them beforehand, sometimes he doesn't. Some people are healed from a distance, some people are healed up close, some people are healed in public, some people are healed in private, some people Jesus seeks out, and some people come to Jesus first. It's interesting, Jesus seems to take a unique and and personal approach to each person that he heals. He must have known something about that mud was just what this man needed. Jesus still takes a unique and a personal approach to each one of us today. You are not just a number to Jesus. You are not just part of a crowd. You are a unique and special person. And he, he's working on you in a unique and special way. He's coming to you and, and interacting with your life in a way that is not true of anyone else. Have you ever thought of that? You have a story of how Jesus has been active in your life. And you may say, well, my story's not very exciting because I've, you know, I grew up in the church and nothing dramatic has happened to me. But no, your story is important and special. It doesn't matter if nothing exciting has happened to you. Your story is the story of Jesus Christ working inside of you, and that makes it important and exciting. We would love to hear your stories. Next week, we're going to give uh, an opportunity for some of those stories to be told. If you have a story that is 
welling up in your heart about how Jesus has been touching your life, would you, would you be willing to share that? If you would, just let me know or let Pastor Bill know. You can send us an email. You can write us a note and hand it to, it, hand it to us out in the gallery. You can call us during the week, but we would love to share as many of your stories as we can in the coming weeks. So Jesus puts this mud on the the man's eyes and he tells him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. And John points out for us who don't know Hebrew that Siloam means sent. He sends him to this pool to wash and the man washed and came back seeing. He could see, he was healed. Max Lucado tells the story of a man named Bob Edens who was born blind. For 51 years, he couldn't see a thing. He says his world was a black hall of sounds and smells, and he felt his way through five decades of darkness. And then he could see. A skilled surgeon performed a complicated operation, and for the first time, Bob Edens had sight. He found it overwhelming. This is what Bob said. I never would have dreamed that yellow is so yellow. (laughs) I don't have the words. He said, I am amazed by yellow. (laughs) But red is my favorite color. I just can't believe red. I can see the shape of the moon. And I like nothing better than seeing a jet plane flying across the sky, leaving a vapor trail. And of course, sunrises and sunsets. And at night, I look at the stars in the sky and see flashing light. You could never know how wonderful everything is. I wonder if this man in John 9 could have written his testimony for us if it would have been something like that. You can never believe how wonderful everything is. He was healed. He says, all I know is I was blind and now I see. We all know that line from Amazing Grace, don't we? That's where it comes from. I was blind and now I see. Well, the people around the sky are like, what really happened here? Is this true? Is this the same guy? What really happened here? So there's all this back and forth that we read that makes this story interesting. They want to talk to him. They ask him all these questions. And then he gets sent to the principal's office. You ever got sent to the principal's office? I know. I see a few principals out here. You guys are very nice people. But the Pharisees weren't quite as nice in this story. And he gets called in to talk to them. See, Jesus had healed him on the Sabbath And that act of making mud, that counted as work. And the Pharisees were really, really dedicated to making sure that God's people did not break any of God's laws. So they're upset by this guy, Jesus, coming and doing this. And they question him back and forth, and then they bring in his parents. And I love how how kind of cagey his parents are. Like, you should ask him. He's a (laughs) grown-up. They don't want to get in trouble, too. And there's this conflict within the group of the Pharisees because a lot of them say, this 
this man can't be from God if he's breaking the laws of the Sabbath. And then some of them say, well, if, he could, if he's not from God, how could he heal people? And, and, and it seems like the ones who are, are uh, skeptical are the ones who kind of gain the upper hand as the story goes on. The Pharisees as a group become more and more hostile and more skeptical. They're so firmly in the grip of darkness that they can only see a little broken law. And they can't see that the light of the world has broken out upon them. You know, not everyone will rejoice with you when God heals you. Not everybody can see the light in the darkness. In the end, the Pharisees cling to their their time-worn theories of punishment. They finally kick this guy out of the synagogue and say, you were steeped in sin at birth. We're going back to our old theory. You're a sinner. Philip Yancey says this, the response to this miracle, as well as most of the others in the Gospels, bears out a striking principle of faith. That principle is this. Although faith may produce miracles, miracles do not necessarily produce faith. Isn't it interesting that those people could look this miracle right in the face and say, yeah, I don't think so. It didn't draw them any closer to God. Jesus told a parable about this once, about a rich man who had a beggar named Lazarus who lived on his doorstep and eventually Lazarus dies and then eventually the rich man dies and the rich man finds out the truth about the afterlife and about God and justice. And the rich man has this conversation with God and says, I beg you, uh, he's talking to Abraham, send Lazarus to my family for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will also not come to this place of torment. And Abraham replies, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. The rich man says, no, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent and listen to what Abraham says at the end of this parable. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Mm. The Pharisees, in the story of a man born blind, the Pharisees turn out to be the ones who were really blind. Jesus confronts them about this at the end. They, they're not convinced by, by these miracles. You know, we all, we all say we would be convinced if we could see miracles like this, but I think John wants us to ask ourselves, would we really be? What would it take to make our faith really alive and strong? Maybe this is why Jesus often downplayed his miracles. Have you ever been confused by that as you read the stories of the miracles in the gospel, Jesus often tells people after he heals them, don't tell anyone. And we're like, come on, do a little marketing at least, Jesus. This is good stuff. But he often downplays them. He, he tells people, don't say anything to anyone. Or, or some miracles like the transfiguration or the raising of the 12-year-old girl, he, he only lets his closest disciples watch. 
with, and then he tells them to keep things quiet. He always turned down requests for a demonstration to amaze the crowd and to impress important people. Jesus recognized early on that the excitement that was generated by his miracles didn't easily convert into a life-changing faith. Philip Yancey says, Jesus never met a disease he could not cure, a birth defect he could not reverse, a demon he could not cast out, but he did meet skeptics that he could not convince and sinners that he could not convert. Forgiveness of sins requires an act of will on the receiver's part and some who heard Jesus' strongest words about grace and forgiveness turned away unrepentant. Jesus' miracles are not like magic tricks that are meant to impress people and make them think Jesus is amazing. This story reminds us that miracles might not be as powerful a tool to inspire faith as we might think. So what are they for? If they don't work in terms of convincing everybody who sees them that Jesus is the Messiah, then what? What are they for? Why, why does Jesus do them? John uses a word to talk about Jesus' miracles that in Greek is the word semeon, semeon, and it means sign. It's a sign, he says. Jesus' miracles are signs that point to the kingdom of God, signs that point us to a relationship with God. Miracles are a sign that point us to God and that help us to see and to believe that in Jesus, the kingdom of God is here and that we can be a part of it. What happens if we ignore the signs? The first time I drove, when I had just gotten my license, I was a uh, it had just it was, yeah, no, I had my license for a little while, but it was the first time I had driven through the city of Rochester. I was a freshman at Houghton College. My parents lived near Syracuse. I can't remember why, but I had the car, and it was the dead of winter, and I had to drive through the city of Rochester. I don't know if any of you remember how Rochester used to have the can of worms. Remember how all those highways came together and just went like this and you had to like, ah, and get to the other one? There was this beautiful sign that said, together we can, and had to like emerge. <laughs> well, I was, I was not the greatest person at directions, but I had ridden through Rochester a few times and I was fairly confident I could find my way through the city. It happened that on that day, Rochester had had a good snowstorm and it was one of those snowstorms where the snow stuck to all the signs. All the signs on the highway were completely plastered white with a good lake effect snow. So I couldn't read any of the signs. I couldn't tell where I was going. Imagine my feeling of panic. No signs. How do I find my way around? What happens if you don't read the signs? Jesus is putting these signs out for us that he doesn't want us to ignore. Miracles 
are signs that point us to God. They help us to see and believe that the kingdom of God in Jesus is here. And this story challenges us to ask, am I blind like the Pharisees who think they can see but they're really blind? And it, it challenges us to understand that it's dangerous to ignore the signs. Jesus says, look in verse 39, he says, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. He doesn't want us to miss the signs. He doesn't want us to ignore the signs, and he tells us that we will be held accountable that we need to be careful not to be blind on purpose. A sign is not the same thing as a proof. It's a marker for someone who's looking in the right direction. So miracles are meant to be signs that point us toward God. Signs that say, this way, go this way. God is this way. The kingdom of God is among you. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. They're signs of God's love, that God is especially fond of the sick and the hurting. Miracles are signs that point us toward God, that help us to see and believe that the kingdom of God is here. You know, every miracle that Jesus did showed us what the kingdom of God is like. It pointed back to the Garden of Eden when things were all in harmony and it points forward toward the coming kingdom when Jesus will come again and make all things right. Those signs give us a glimpse, a glimpse of what the world was meant to be. And they instill in us a hope that, that one day God will right all the wrongs of this world. They tell us, God is no more satisfied with the way this world is than we are. And that, that Jesus' miracles give us just a little hint of what God intends to do about this world. Some people see miracles as an unbelievable suspension of the laws of the physical universe. Uh, as signs, though, they are meant to serve just the opposite function. Yancey says this, death, decay, entropy, destruction are the true suspensions of God's laws. Miracles are the early glimpses of restoration. Isn't that cool? Miracles give us a little glimpse of what God is gonna do on a grand scale when he makes this whole world healed and right, and whole, and full of shalom. The great uh, theologian Jürgen Moltmann put it this way, Jesus' healings are not supernatural miracles in a natural world. Jesus' healings are the only true natural things in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded turns it right on its head. Jesus says, don't miss the signs. 
Don't miss the signs. Well, how do we follow the signs? Jesus catches up with this man who was born blind after he has all this interviewing and drama with people and in the village or in the city and then with the, the Pharisees. Jesus finds him again and, um, and asks him, do you believe in the Son of God? Verse 36, the man answers, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. See, his heart is open. And Jesus tells him flat out, you have seen him and he is speaking to you. How does the man respond? He says this, yes, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. Miracles are a sign that point us to God, that help us to see and believe that the kingdom of God is here. And when we encounter those signs, it calls us to to be a disciple, to do what that man did, to say, wow, yes, Lord, I believe. He called him Lord. He gave him lordship of his life. That's why we worship, to say, God, you're, you're in charge and I'm not. You are great and I want to be a part of what you are doing. You know, Jesus still is active today. He still does miracles today, things that we could never predict or expect or things that are far beyond our own ability to make happen ourselves. He's still putting signs up that he wants us to see so that we will be drawn to him, drawn into the kingdom of God. John Wimber, who started the Vineyard Church movement, said that when we never prayed for anyone to get healed, no one got healed. And when we started praying for people to be healed by God, some people got healed. We never can predict why God heals sometimes why God does miracles sometimes and not other times, that is beyond our human understanding. But we do know this, that he tells us to ask. He tells us to ask. He tells us to ask, seek, and knock. So we're going to ask. I know that there are so many needs right in this room, just in our own lives, And I also know that a lot of us carry burdens on behalf of other people that we love, friends, family members, larger burdens for this world, things that just God has given us a particular soft spot in our hearts for, and we we really want to see healing and change. We're just going to ask. I'm going to invite Brandon to come forward And we're going to spend a little time singing and praying. And uh, we're just going to ask God to do what he wants to do among us. That's the thing about prayer. We kind of submit ourselves to God and we ask and we see what he does. He may have some miracles for us today. Not because we're so amazing, but because he is so amazing and he wants to point our hearts toward him. So, Brandon, if you want to just kind of lead us through some music and singing as we do that, I'm just going to ask that we start um, by bowing our heads and I'm going to pray 
And then I'm going to give you an opportunity to, um, to ask for prayer and be prayed for. And we'll see what God does. All right, let's pray. God, we think of that man who came to you in the Gospels who needed a miracle, who came to you and said, I believe, Jesus, but help my unbelief. So often that's where we're at too, God. We, we believe, but we're not sure, but we want to believe more. So God, give us the faith today to reach out you, to be open to whatever you have for us today. Thank you that you love us and that you make your healing power available in this world. Thank you, Jesus. If there's anyone in this room